Hello, and welcome to the Business Decisions Podcast. My name is Stuart Wood. I'm the CEO of Caravel Law and your host for this podcast. My guest on the podcast today is Matt McQuillan, the CEO and one of the co-founders of Zello. Zello is an online program that helps prepare students for success after high school in academics, uh, with their careers, and in life overall. So Matt has his MBA from the Ivy School of Business at Western. Once he finished his MBA program, along with two co-founders, Jeff Harris and Angus McMurtry, started uh, what was then called Career Cruising and is now called Zello. So on May 7th of 2020, in the middle of the COVID-19 situation, Zello announced that the Canadian Business Growth Fund had made an equity investment in Zello. Matt has spoken about the importance of bootstrapping in his company's success and its evolution over the past 20 plus years. So it was very interesting that they decided to take on an outside investor and also interesting that they were able to close that investment during this current uh, challenging situation. So I wanted to talk to Matt about Zello, about his journey up till now, why they decided to take on outside money for the first time, and what it was like to try to close that deal in the middle of the COVID-19 situation. So with that, here's my conversation with Matt McQuillan of Zello. All right, I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast now by Matt McQuillan, the co-founder and CEO of Zello. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks very much, Derek. Good, uh, good to be doing this. Uh, I have to say, uh, I don't think I've actually listened to an entire podcast myself, so it's kind of an odd, uh, odd situation, you know, being part of one before actually listening to one. But uh, I, I guess I'm mostly, mostly uh, a reader rather than a listener. So um, anyway, well, that's my go. background. But glad, glad to be here. You're a guest instead of an audience member. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about Zello. So yeah, Zello is really a, at its simplest form, it's a, a program that is designed to help students answer the question, what am I going to do when I grow up? So um, what that means is helping students, uh, regardless of their background, ability, um, or where they want to go, just to better understand themselves, explore their options, and build a plan for future success. Uh, and we work with students uh, you know, starting in kindergarten right up to, to grade 12. Um, so it is something that we see uh, should be part of every student's journey through through school and that they really need support through that whole path to just prepare them for when they eventually are moving on beyond high school. So uh, I assume that in kindergarten, though, they're not already thinking about what they're going to be when they grow up. No, exactly. And it is kind of, it, it does sound weird. Um, in earlier grades, it's, it's more about just introducing them to, to concepts so that um, they can better have an idea of what goes on in the world of work. If you think about young children, just what do you do when you go to work? You know, there's some curiosity there. And, and the more that we can take away the mystery and just help people understand what, what's going on, the better prepared they are. Uh, and a lot of the research, interestingly enough, does show the earlier it starts, uh, the better the outcomes. So this is something that is becoming more, um, more common with states and provinces that we work with. Um, but yeah, we made the decision uh, about five years ago to, to take on um, that those grade levels as well as what we were already serving, which was grade six to twelve. And it's been really fun, really interesting. Um, we talked to lots of younger students about what what would help them. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's sort of a, again, it's it, it seems counterintuitive or a little bit strange, but um, you see how engaged the kids are, so it actually works quite well. And how do you assess the success of the program, or what 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 equates to a better outcome? 
Oh, that is a great question. Um, and I, I don't think we really have a good answer, uh, mainly because it's one of those things where the number of variables involved in a student becoming successful uh, post high school or, or even while in school, it can be attributed to so many different reasons. So when we're trying to precisely identify what does, how has Zello contributed contributed to this student's outcome, um, very hard to pinpoint. Like one thing we, we know, and, and again, I wouldn't even say this is causal, but over the last 15 years, uh, one state and, and one province have seen their graduation rates improve dramatically. Uh, that's Ontario here in Canada, and in the U.S. it's been Kentucky. And during that time, both Kentucky and Ontario had uh, had access to our platform statewide and province-wide. So I'd like to be able to tell you, hmm. because of our program, those you know we saw those dramatic increases, but so many other things were going on that you know it's it wouldn't be um, appropriate or fair or even necessarily correct to, to attribute that to what what our platform brings. So it is something we struggle with, um, and and really what we look at to try and figure out if we're helping students is. To what level are they engaging with the platform? Are they using it? So if they're using it, just by virtue of the fact that there's so many alternatives they have where to spend their time, if they're using our software, you know, whether it's on the weekends and evenings, um, that to us tells us they're getting something out of it. It's helping them solve that problem. So we, we look at time spent on site, you know, how often are students logging in to get some sense. That's one thing we look at. And then as well, we'll look at, you know, have graduation rates improved for a district as their, um, college, you know, number of students that apply to college or accepted at college. Um, but ultimately, I think we're, what I would like us to do at some point would be to focus on um, not a net promoter score, but just finding out from students, did this, did Zello make a difference in your life? Just a very simple question, mm-hmm. uh, I think would give us a lot of value. We have, we're, we're starting to do some very light uh, surveying of students, um, but ultimately it comes down to when when someone's 25 and they look back and they try and figure out like why they ended up where they did. I would love for them to say Zello really helped me solve that problem. That's kind of the mission behind what I'm doing and, and what our what our teams are focused on. And are the students and their families your customers, or is it the schools that you deal with directly? It's the district. School boards or, or school districts would typically be who we are working with. Uh, sometimes that could be a state or province as well, but typically we're working directly with, uh, with an entire district or a school board, and they would be implementing it for all their schools, whether that's just the high schools, could be the middle schools, could be their elementary schools. Um, so really, we're typically working with um, the, key, you know, the administrators at the board district level coming up with a plan for how they want to implement it and really figuring out how are they going to work it into their daily schedules to make sure they get the most out of it. Um, so students will be ultimately the users. And then parents are part of the community around around Zello because obviously they, um, you know, they're a really big part of, of helping kids plan for the future. Um, but ultimately, in terms of who we sell to and, and who, we're, uh, who are our clients, that would be the district. And the principal end user will be students and also educators. So before we go any further, I did want to ask, where did the name Zello come from? Good question. Um, and I get that a lot as well. So just a little bit of the history. Um, I, I've been doing this for 25 years. And, and when we started, 
uh, our original name was Career Cruising. And so that stood us in good stead for, for many years. Um, really around five years ago was when we decided we wanted to, well, actually, we, we kind of looked at ourselves in the mirror. And the question we asked ourselves was, are we doing enough to help students solve this very real problem? Are we making a difference? And kind of one of the interesting things is that when you've been doing this as long as we have, we actually have people working at Zello who use career cruising. Oh, that's very cool. Oh, that's very cool. And, and, you know, a number of them, yeah, I love, they love, they love the program. But for others, it was sort of, uh, yeah, I use career cruising. And it was that lukewarm response that kind of went into the thinking of, is this a program that students are looking back and saying, yes, this changed my life. And I think looking hard in the mirror, we felt two things. One is that while it was okay, um, it wasn't doing enough. And the second thing was that we could do a whole lot better. If we, you know, looking at software that's out in the market today, how engaging it is, how much it helps you simplify complex problems down into their essence and really allows you to make, uh, make progress. We just felt we could do that in this area that, that we're focusing on, helping people figure out what they want to do. So with that in mind, when we looked at um, do we want to stay with career cruising, there were a couple of reasons why we wanted to make a change. One just has to do with language. Um, so when you break down career cruising, there are there two problems we saw. One is with the word career. So career means the word itself in terms of how it's defined is different for pretty much anyone you talk to. Um, for some people, a career is a job. Uh, for some people, a career is a profession and certain jobs are not careers. Uh, but in the actual definition from the industry, a career is everything you do throughout your life, whether that's in work, volunteer, at home. Um, so for years, you know, guidance counselors, we've all been trying to make sure that the term career was properly understood. But the reality is that hasn't worked and, and people attribute its own, their own meaning to it. So okay. that was one issue uh, that we felt like, okay, it's ill-defined, so we're already struggling a little bit. And then the other part was cruising. So cruising in our mind, it, it was appropriate like when we started out. It was a fun program. It was light. But now we're really trying to solve that problem. And cruising in our minds just didn't set the right tone. It was sort of itinerant. You know, I'm cruising. I'm not yeah. really making any decisions. I'm just kind of cruising along. A um, little bit hard to spell. <laughs> and uh, a in a longer word. And finally, it uh, did not translate well. So we've done some pilot programs in Latin America, Central America, and career cruising just means absolutely nothing. It's just it. hard work to yeah. sell. So we were really looking for a word that um, was short, easier to spell, um, and didn't have meaning already attached to it, that it could, you know, whatever your experience was with this thing, that would be what you associated with the word. So I don't know how much, how, how much more... You know, sort of an interesting yeah. story about how it how it ultimately came about. Uh, was, and maybe I'll just try and tell it really quickly. Sure. Um, we had a group of five of us in the company trying to brainstorm ideas for a period of about three to four months. And we had all sorts of ideas. And at the end of those three to four months, we kind of had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Nothing that we could agree on. Okay. Uh, so um, we brought in the fellow that we worked with previously, John Cooley, who um, you know he's a he's an ad man. He's a, he's a great writer, a great thinker, and uh, you know he'd been there when we had career cruising. He understood career cruising. Uh, he hadn't seen Zello. When we showed it to him, he absolutely loved it. And we said, you know, John, we, we don't have a name for it. And uh, he said, okay, give me two weeks. Okay. I'm interested in what he comes back with. And um, so in two weeks, he came back and he had a deck and it was 50 slides long and he had 50 names. And if I showed you to them, if I showed them to you, you would be like, oh my God, those are all great. Not only that, he researched whether or not we could potentially get those names and what they're, you know, what the possibility of the domain name and how it been used elsewhere. 50 names. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. So basically we got to pick from those 50 names. And I think for a few of us, Zello was immediately the one that um, people gravitated towards. Yeah. Uh, I, for me, it was one of those cases where, you know, it had an X in it. And I think a lot of companies, they're trying to be cool. They throw an X in front of it and hope that makes it cool. So I was at first, I was like, no, it's not. It's not about the X. Um, I like the sound of it. We like this fact that it sounded like hello and sort of friendly. Yep. Um, and I think after sleeping on it for a couple of nights, I just thought, you know, yes, it has an X, but it actually, it actually seems pretty memorable, pretty cool. People are going to struggle with the X. How do you pronounce an X? But on balance, when you sort of look at the letter shapes, uh, it's very proportional design, super important to, to what Zello is today. And I think on that basis, um, we were able to get everyone to agree, yes, Zello is, uh, Zello is the way to go. Oh, that's a cool story. So we're, we're recording this podcast episode in the middle of the COVID-19 situation. And you mentioned that one of the metrics that you look at is the level of engagement that students have with your platform. Have you noticed a change during this period of time? Yeah, it has gone down uh, in volume. So there's two ways to look at it. One is number of people logging in. Yeah. And the other is how long do they spend on it when they do log in. So what we're seeing is still the same level of engagement for those who do log in, but the number is definitely down. So what we can conclude from that is I, I feel like the I feel like what we're trying to do with students um, is is really well supported by the school system. If given the choice, um, you know, it's, it's a bit like working out. You know, everyone wants to do it. Those that actually do, um, you know, is, is a smaller group because trying to figure out what you want to do for your future is not easy. It involves work. It involves thinking. It involves processing. It involves having conversations. So. I think with partnerships, partnering with school districts is a great way to make sure that that's front and center, that it's a priority, because what we see is once kids get into it, they actually get value out of it. So it's, it's sort of a similar thing, I think, with anything in, um, in education. There's, there is value, uh, and, it, and it can be significant value, but it's not always the case that, you know, left to their own devices, that students are going to do what is beneficial for them. Um, but that being said, it's still, I mean, the usage is still strong. It's just that we've seen a dip from where we were prior to COVID-19. 
And so with regards to your own team, how has this current situation affected your team and how you're dealing with that challenge? So I, I think it's been different depending on the, the area, the department that people are working out of. Um, from, the, from the development side, engineering, design, um, you know, the folks building the software, I think it's been pretty much business as usual because we're already at a point where most people could work from home two or three days a week, and we're doing that. Uh, you know, we have lots of different video conferencing solutions. Um, so all of that, I think, was in, was in good shape. Uh, our more client-facing teams, so sales, uh, customer success, um, the technology was there, but the, you know, it was, it was more of an environment that people would work from the office. So I think that was a, that was a transition. Um, so overall, I think for our people, we were able to make the move pretty smoothly to remote. Um, but I think more where the impact has been is, uh, is sort of two areas. One around um, for sales. So it, it just hasn't really felt appropriate to be reaching out um, and, and trying to sell Zello to, to new customers for the most part, because if you think about it, these schools are just overwhelmed with just dealing with how do you make that switch from um, what they were doing before to remote learning. So internally, um, all of our teams that are, are client focused have really switched gears into what are all the things that we can do to support remote learning in the districts. So, um, you know, what that means is building out articles, resources, ebooks, um, you know, information that our clients in the education community can use to help keep their students motivated. Um, we started a series of remote roundtables where we invited clients and experts in the education community to speak on relevant topics. Um, you know, for our first remote roundtable, we had over a thousand um, thousand educators. Wow, that's up. great. Yeah, so that that part has been really um, positive. I think our, our in, you know, teams that produce all that content have been in overdrive, just trying to get everything out there, sharing information. We had a monthly newsletter. We switched that to a weekly newsletter. Um, so I, I think really we've just been trying to do everything we can to, to help out. Uh, just the, it's been a huge transition for the school district and, and you know, quite overwhelming. Um, so whatever we can do to help, that's, that's where we've been focusing our efforts. That's great. Now, you were able to uh, announce some good news recently, despite uh, the challenges where you uh, raised some money for the first time in your company's history. How did that come about? Not overnight. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was looking back on, on when that started, and that process started over a year ago. So uh, it just happened that COVID-19 really came into the picture right around where that, that deal was supposed to close. We had a, a scheduled close date of March 30th. So um, really the story is about, okay, well, what happened? Uh, between March 3rd, well, when COVID-19 became you know, front, front and center and, and that closed date. So um, there was a bit of an adjustment. Uh, like I said, we've been working on this for quite a while. And so when um, when things came into sharper focus, you know, we sat down with the Canadian Business Growth Fund, who's our, our investor, and, you know, just to see, well, what did they want to do? Um, and, and they needed to really step back and think about, okay, is this something that we still want to proceed with? Um, and, you know, does this change the, 
the deal that we've structured? Um, what are the implications? Did it, you know, for a lot of you know, I think for a lot of private equity companies, it was just a case of step back. Let's see what happens. Everything's off the table. Um, Canadian Business Growth Fund approached it a little bit differently. So what happened in our case was when they looked at the, the fundamentals of the business, um, they concluded this is still a deal that they wanted to do, but they wanted to, um, you know, to, to the extent that they could uh, reduce the risk. So what they decided to do was to take the investment and split it into two tranches. So uh, when the deal closed, half of the funding would happen and they would have the second half, which is something that they can still decide if they, if they want to proceed um, based on, you know, our performance and what happens in the economy. They have a, you know, a, a clause where they would, they would not have to proceed. Their intention is to proceed. Um, but of course, we, no one really knows what's going to happen at this point. So this is something that they also, um, you know, it's an approach that they use with all of the investments that they were looking at. Um, so, I mean, honestly, in my, in my respect, in my opinion, I think they, they've done a great job. Uh, I'm really appreciative they still wanted to go forward. I mean, that, to me, that's a, that's a great vote of confidence because there's a lot of uncertainty for everyone. Um, so I was, I was really happy to see that and, and, you know, splitting into two tranches, I, I, I think that makes sense. I, from their perspective, I, I can see why they would want to do that. Um, so in, I think it's still a, a really good, a really good success for both parties. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're really happy to, to have put it, uh, to, you know, to close and it ended up closing April 30th. So a month, a month later than we anticipated. And was there any thought on your side about, uh, delaying or changing the terms? Yeah, so this is sort of interesting. It gets into maybe, you know, why we why we've done what we've done and even just the the, the kind of approach that we had throughout. And, and I think it's probably on the side of Canadian Business Growth Fund as well, is that um, you know, you always have to be ready to say, Okay, no, this is this is not something that we're gonna go go through with. Um, from our perspective, we were still happy with the deal. Um I think if we looked at it and they said, okay, you know, we're going to change the terms. This is now the new deal. And, you know, we would have probably been in a position where we said, okay, well, we'll have to rethink that. Um, but everything went ahead as, as we'd already arranged. Um, for me, there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't any second guessing or, or doubts because we'd already had our reasons for, you know, why we were doing it. It all still was, you know, nothing had changed in, in that respect. Um, and, and for us, COVID-19, um, uh, you know, to date, it's been it's been fairly neutral on our business. Uh, you know, potentially it could be an opportunity, but nothing had changed for us to make us want to you know not go ahead. Uh, so yeah, we were happy that it, happy that it closed. And how did you uh, come to partner with them specifically? So, as a technology company that's been around for a number of years, um, what you can expect is almost every day. If not every day, every second day, a private equity company that you've never heard of reaching out saying they're really interested in business, uh, they'd love to get to know you, and they'd, they'd love to um, find out more. And, you know, the idea being they might be interested in investing in your business. And so that, um, you know, that's been going on for years. We've never really been interested in that. Um, when we finally decide, okay, this is something that we want to explore. We had um, our, our CFO, Andrew Shannon, take the lead in 
having conversations with the companies that we thought might actually be interested. And that was a process of probably about 50 to 60 conversations. Um, we had certain criteria that we were looking for. And then private equity investors had criteria that they were looking for. So really, Andrew's job was just to find out, okay, of this potential universe of, of interested parties, who's actually interested? Um, it, investigating any partner takes time for, for both parties. So it was really up to Andrew to try and identify who is a legitimate um, potential investor versus, you know, people who are just kicking the tires or trying to find out, you know, whether or not there's something that, um, you know, that they might be interested in, but don't really want to spend the time or just, or just kind of emailing everybody who has a technology company in North America just to see who, who will talk to them. So have you really been receiving multiple calls every week from private equity funds for years? Yes. <laughs> Not calls. Typically it's an email. Yeah. But, but oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I would expect for, I don't, I don't think it's unusual would, would be my guess. Huh. And the uh, out of the list of 50 that you um, worked with, uh, how many did you did you end up shortlisting to a smaller number that you actually got into serious conversations with and then chose one? Or how did the process play out? Yeah, I think we, we got it down to, I, I don't remember the, the ultimate number, but like, you know, less than five. Yeah. Um, for, and I think a lot of it has to do with growth rate. That's really the cutoff for, for a lot of these firms. Um, you know, they're looking for 20 to 30% growth. They're looking for a certain revenue level. Uh, they're looking for a certain amount of EBITDA, so earnings before interest tax and depreciation. Um, and I, I, I think for most companies, our revenue was in the right, uh, the right spot. I think, the, you know, in terms of bottom line, they're not so concerned about that. It's more about the growth. <clears throat> but being in, in K-12, it's not, it's, it's a slower growth industry. So I think that for, for a number of them, that was of less interest. Uh, I think all of them, you know, if, if the growth rate improved, they would, you know, a number of them probably would have been interested. But that was um, one of the cutoffs, I would say, for, for companies. And then for, um, from our side, we weren't looking for, um, we weren't looking to sell the company. We weren't looking for a majority investor. So that was a, you know, a big cutoff where for some people that's, you know, you know, we're just looking to acquire, we're looking for majority interest. We don't do anything other than majority investments. Um, so I don't know the mix of who, uh, you know, which companies were, were taken off the list for which reasons I, I don't, I guess Andrew would know. Um, but I think those were the main factors that were up to play. Well, I can understand now I took uh, a year from start to finish for the process to play out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, you've spoken publicly before. Uh, so as you mentioned, you've been doing this for 25 years. And you bootstrapped right up until this particular investment. Is that right? Exactly. And you spoke uh, publicly about the importance of bootstrapping and why it's something that more entrepreneurs should consider as opposed to just defaulting to taking on outside money. So what was the shift in mindset that caused you to, to move away from bootstrapping to taking on an investor like this? Yeah, great, great question. And for the record, I, I wholeheartedly uh, recommend bootstrapping for as long as you possibly can. Well, 20, um, 25 years, you certainly have credibility on that front. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
know, it's interesting when, when thinking about taking on investment. So I think the first thing is um, we've never really had that intention and personally never really had that intention. So, and the reason is, um, I, I think a couple things, wanting to stay in control in the sense that, you know, if you believe business decisions should be made in a certain way, but you're not able to implement the decisions that you think are correct, that, that to me could be incredibly frustrating. So I didn't want to be in that position where if I thought something was the right thing to do, to be told, no, you're doing something else. Um, and, and second thing is just the mission of the company is, um, I, I don't want to say it's altruistic, but it is a very pure aim, which is to help people uh, prepare for the future. And because of where we sit, um, we sit at the intersection of the university education system, the college education system. Um, we sit sort of at that point where we're a trusted advisor to students, but then they're going to be out looking for careers. And so we intersect with the business community. And when you sit at that point, it's very easy for that mission to become, we're going to market to students on behalf of universities. We're going to introduce students to companies and, and companies are our client. So just, and, and I think there's potentially huge commercial opportunity there. Um, so we didn't want to be seduced into something that, you know, potentially subverted the mission. So those were, were sort of two of the factors. Um, and that, and I think more generally the, um, you know, the, the bootstrap approach where you are able to pursue your vision um, in the way that you want to do it is, you know, just that, that's a big reason why you know, we started our own business. Um, so kind of what changed? So I think there's a couple things to think about. One is when we looked at what we're trying to do, we're trying to help anyone anywhere in the world uh, prepare for future success. And today we do that in, in K-12 in North America in the UK. Now, our ambition is to do that globally. And when you look at that goal, there's no way we're going to get there without capital. Organic growth will only take us so far. Right. Um, right. So I think we just realized the mission is our goal. That's what we want to achieve. We're going to need capital to get there. Okay, so that's the first thing. Um, second thing is that there's an adage, look, you don't want to be looking for money when you need it. And so we were in a position where it wasn't a deal that we had to do. So that gave us the ability to have conversations where these are the things we're looking for. And if that's not something that's in interesting to you, then okay, we're, well, that's those are our criteria. So, you know, Two of the criteria, or three of the criteria were, one, um, a minority investment, so that we could still tr stay true to our mission. Um, second, that ultimately we would be able to still serve our mission. And for that, we needed a partner that believed in what we were trying to do. And, you know, that was really felt like the mission was, was important as well. And then third, we were looking for a partner that could challenge us. Uh, and could help us get there. Um, so those are the thing, like the criteria that we had in our hearts. And, you know, I can tell you, it was one of these cases where Andrew Shannon, again, had been 
um, talking to company after company after company, and it just kept coming back. Oh no, they they want to you know, like everything, but they want a majority interest, or um, they like this, but they're thinking about this, and you know it got pretty frustrating. And we actually got to the point where we thought, you know what, <clears throat> it's just not we're not going to find the right partner. And literally the day that we were uh, we're at the point of just saying forget, well we're, we're not going to find the right partner. Talking to Andrew, Jeff Harris, and I, his partner, and uh, he said, you know what, I just got this call with this one other investor. Let me, we'll, we'll finish our conversation. He went off, had an hour long call, and he came back and said, guys, I think I found it. <laughs> and he went down. He said, he said, you know, here's here's one of the things. So it's um, Canadian Business Growth Fund. It's an evergreen fund. They don't have a horizon where you're going to have to sell the company or go public. Okay, tell me more. Um, they would do in a minority interest in that. Okay. Tell me more. They've done other deals in Toronto. They're very well respected. Tell me more. So it just, you know, th that was a great moment. And that was whatever, a year ago. Um, so 1% inspiration, 99% hard work. <laughs> I think that, that formula held with uh, where we ended up. But um, yeah, so I think it's knowing that we needed capital. And I think just... I alluded to it, but more more seriously, over our history, um, we've had people that have helped us get to where we are today. Uh, consultants, people within the company. Um, we've got to where we are today through teamwork, collaboration. And I, I think we just realized that bringing in a an outside perspective, an independent perspective with experience in seeing businesses grow, um, you know, rapidly, that they could help us get there faster. Not that we couldn't get there on our own, but um, that we could do it in a way that would allow us to achieve that mission uh, more quickly and and do it in a way that Im improved, you know, everything about the company, just to take that next step, whether that's improved governance, more focus on um, financial performance, uh, questioning business strategy, coming up with other ideas, introducing us to uh, other opportunities, partners, whatever it might be. Um, There's just that feeling that we, we could benefit more than we would potentially um, lose from being fully independent. And what was the reaction when you announced the news that you had closed the investment? Um, well, you got I think, think about the context. I think that coming... Well, I guess, first of all, COVID-19 just creates uncertainty for everyone, mm -hmm. uh, whatever business you might be in. And I think the fact that we were able to land that investment, at least for our, uh, you know, for our own staff, I think was a, was a positive, maybe a bit of a relief. Um, I think overall, just for myself and, and for Jeff and for the, the, the group of the leadership group, nothing really changes. So it wasn't a case where, hey, guys, now we have funding. Now we can do all this stuff that, you know, we weren't doing before. It wasn't really one of those kinds of announcements. It was, it was more a case of this is great that, that this has happened. We have the opportunity to fuel our growth, which is great. But at the same time, you know how much work we have to do. And we've got to keep our eye on the prize, keep focusing on doing what we're doing today. And you know, delivering amazing experiences for educators and students. Um, so what it it didn't it's not really changing the company. 
um, but it obviously gives us more uh, more opportunity to capitalize on opportunities that, that come our way. Did you hear from contacts of yours and business partners or friends, that sort of thing, that uh, they were excited to hear about positive news like this in the middle of the COVID-19 situation? Yeah, yeah, there were definitely lots of, um, lots of congratulations. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, LinkedIn, a great tool for, for that. Connected with people I hadn't connected with. Connected with new people um, as well. Uh, a few private equity people reaching out, Stuart. Surprise. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it was it was really positive, and I and I do feel like it was good for people to see, like given the, given the circumstances, to see some positive news. I think if we'd announced it six months earlier, it wouldn't have been as you know as big of a deal. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, we we yeah, launched I mean, our. We launched our team in BC uh, in the middle of the COVID-19 situation as well. And I was amazed at the number of notes that I received from people just grateful for good news being announced right now. Yeah. Yeah. We need that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in terms of the way that people usually celebrate uh, a, an announcement like this and a, fu- a fundraising uh, accomplishment, the team would get together for some sort of celebration. What did you guys do to celebrate as a team? Oh, nothing. Nah, that's the shame of the moment, right? Nothing. Yeah, you know, I was I was saying to Canadian Business Growth Fund, I'm, I'm really disappointed we don't we don't get to have a closing exactly. dinner of that sort. <laughs> yeah, so it postponed and maybe uh, maybe revisited at some point. Um, yeah, that's that's the world we live in. It was a virtual cheers for sure. There you go. Well, they'll uh, still be selling champagne when this is all over. <laughs> good news. Good news. <laughs> so, where does Zello go from here? Uh, you know, it's, it's a, I think that for me, what gets me up every day and what I'm super excited about is just solving that problem. Um, here's the context that I like to put it in. So if you think about Google, Google started to solve the problem around the same time that we started career cruising as Zello. And their problem, their core problem that they're trying to solve was how to search the internet and find the right results. And if you think about that problem, it's it's a bounded problem in the sense that we know where the internet is, we know it exists, and it, it's physically stored somewhere. And you can search it, and they've proven it can be done, and they created amazing algorithms to solve that problem of when I search for something, they're going to give me really amazing results. And uh, what do you think they've invested in that? How much do you think they put in? I don't know. <laughs> billions and billions. billions I'm yeah, sure. I, like, I, I don't know what the exact number would be, but yeah. <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money, yeah. right? And then you look at a problem where you're trying to help someone who's 13 uh, figure out what they're going to do eight years out. Uh, and you know when they're 13, they're probably going to change between the time they're 13 and they're 21. They're going to change a lot. And then the economy is going to change a lot. And then you say, okay, now I want this kid to figure out what they're going to do. And then you think about how hard is that problem? Is that problem versus searching the internet? And you start to get a sense of like the complexity of what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, we're spending a small fraction of what Google spends on the problem of search. So we've got 
we've got an amazing problem. When you talk about, you know, in technology, what do you want to do? Fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem. I've fallen in love with the problem, <laughs> which is great. Um, so, I, I mean, our mission is just to really try and help solve that problem. Uh, I think where we are today with Zello, we have an engaging solution that students are, are getting value out of. Um, but I still think there's a lot more to do. Um, some of the things we're working on right now are how to better uh, support students and create opportunities for conversation with their parents, with counselors, with potential mentors. Um, our belief is that Zello can do a great job, but it's, it's a bit of an echo chamber when you as a student are just working on something on your own. It can only take you so far um, to help you process, synthesize, think about all your options. We do believe that it's imperative that students are talking to counselors, are talking to parents, are talking to their friends, just to even try and make sense of what's going through both their conscious and their subconscious. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity there for extending how how students can interact with um, counselors, parents, and how do we how do we um, promote those kinds of conversations? Uh, I think there is also uh, a real opportunity around. It, it sort of goes along with it, but it's it's, it's sort of counterintuitive maybe. That how do we make it even more self serve? So in this in the sense that what we've seen is that. With schools in the picture, there's more usage with Zello than without schools in the picture. But how do we get to the point where it can be so self-serve that students will naturally gravitate to the platform, even in the absence of being at school? Mm -hmm. So I think already it's engaging, but I think we can do more uh, just to take that, um, that, that sort of self-directed aspect and, and elevate it. And not just for, you know, students that Maybe it's the 10% that are going to do it anyway, but how do we get this so that, you know, all students, whatever pathway they're interested in, whatever background, they see Zello as a place that's going to help them, um, you know, plan for the future. Well, that's great. So if someone wants to learn more about uh, your company, Zello, and uh, how you help students, I assume that they get information about the program from their school directly or from their school board. But if someone's interested in learning more about it, because potentially their school board doesn't offer it, what's the best way for them to learn more about Zello? No, oh, thank you. Here's my plug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zello, Zello.world is uh, where you go. Everything's there. We've got um, a great video on our, on our homepage that you can get a really good sense of what Zello does for, for students. Um, but yeah, all the information is there. Um, we've got, uh, you know, opportunity to reach out and contact us, but our philosophy is there, what our program does. Um, I think it, it's, it's pretty clear. Um, but yeah, there's more information. Uh, anyone can reach out to me as well if they've got ideas. We, um, one of the things we've done with Zello is to constantly bring in students, educators, now parents, whether it's to our offices or remotely, just to try and understand, you know, what do they see? How can we make improvements? Um, how can we better solve this problem? What are you struggling with? So, yeah, if people have their own thoughts, um, feel free to reach out to me as well, Matt McQuillan. Happy to hear those. I've uh, got lots of ideas, and we're always trying to figure out better ways to do things. Uh, and we find more perspectives are going to help us get there faster. Well, like you said, uh, there is a need for good news these days. So congratulations on closing the investment. Uh, and uh, best of luck. We'll look forward to seeing where you take Zello with these new resources you have available to you. 
Awesome. Thanks, thanks, Stuart. Great to great to chat. Uh, any follow-ups, let me know. And uh, happy to be part of it. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you very much. All right. I want to thank my guest on the podcast today, Matt McQuillan, the co-founder and CEO of Zello. If you'd like more information about Matt or about Zello, you can find links in the show notes for this podcast episode. If you'd like more information about the podcast or about Caravel Law, please check us out at caravellaw.com. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, leave us a rating, and potentially share the conversation with someone else that you think might benefit from the episode. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. And until then, we hope all of your business decisions are great ones.